I think an arts organization, for example, the symphony orchestra, our product, if you want to get in the business worlds, our product is not necessarily music. It is music, but, but, but really behind that music, what we provide are three things. I think joy, meaning and belonging. Yeah. And particularly, so the joy and the meaning come from the music. So you talked about falling in love with the instruments, the kids falling in love with the instruments. I would go a step further and say, we hope that they fall in love with the music, which is why as my one of my most important jobs as a music director of a youth orchestra is to pick meaningful, important music that, that is stood the test of time. Today I'm talking to Thomas Fortner, Assistant Conductor and Music Director of the Youth Orchestra of the South Dakota Symphony Orchestra. Good to see you again. It's lovely to see you. And um, it's now on Zoom, but we saw each other in, in Vienna not so long ago. In three dimensions. Exactly, yeah. It was wonderful uh, to meet you for coffee. And I know you have been here for um, a program and tell me about this program. That's right. Yeah, I was there in Vienna for a month um, for a opera program. So it would be my first time actually working in an operatic environment. And we were preparing Mozart's Cosi Fan Tutti. And uh, it was a little bit like me going back to school, which was okay. nice. Every summer, uh, I like to do something new, something that challenges myself. Um, if that's correct English, uh, something that that'll build on my skills and also something that'll reignite the the passion and the fire to, you know, as an artist, one of the worst things you can do is get stuck in a, in a, you know, in a, in a habits, in a rut, in a routine, um, routines are good. And that's important for, for a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. but, um, you need something, you need a little inspiration. You need to remember why you fell in love with the, the craft in the first place. And that, but now uh, why, yeah, but now why Vienna? Well, Vienna is kind of like, well, cause it's great. It's an amazing place. I mean, you live there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's the home of, of so much of the music that we've, that I've made my, my life about Mozart, Beethoven, Brahms, um, so much of that stuff. Uh, those guys, Vienna was kind of the center of their universe. But now you are um, based in America. Where exactly are you? Yeah, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So kind of in the middle of the of the, of the country. And now, um, for you there to come to Vienna, is it very much different the way things are being done in in Europe to compare to where you are? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing that I notice is just physically the way that our cities are set up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm kind of a nerd for urban planning and urban design. In fact, I'm even a part of a a club here in Sioux Falls where we we meet. Really? Yeah, we meet and we, meet and we talk about sustainable housing and uh, mass transit and traffic and pedestrian safety. Um, the fact that in America, the car is the supreme thing th- for which we've designed our world, not f- for the person. Um, and that that's a whole other 
lecture series is a really great there's a couple of great youtube channels out there and that's a really good book um but uh the book is called strong towns it's an engineer was i guess a former now a former engineer uh chuck Farone, who was um or Marone, i can't remember his last name exactly who yeah just talked about the way that american cities have been built they're not particularly uh sustainable in any fat sense of that word um but in europe i think you guys have might might have fallen into that trap for for a little bit uh but then it was redesigned back for the human being um vienna was never really a problem no you know i loved that i could jump on a train you know or, or a subway and if i missed miss the subway i just wait five minutes and there'd be another one and then i yeah. didn't want to walk two blocks oh there was a tram i could you know mm-hmm. so that that really makes a i think it makes a big difference in the quality of life mm-hmm. um something that i hope some american cities are starting to notice that but actually i met our mayor of sioux falls randomly standing in line at a coffee shop a couple of days ago and he's he's a friend of some of my family so we i just talked about that and i, I uh, okay yeah he was with somebody else and i felt it would be impolite to <laughs> of these things although my my friends have done that through the mm. correct through, through, through the, uh, city council so anyways all that to say uh i miss the lifestyle in vienna yeah i must say this is something that i really appreciate is that the fact you can either walk or get on a train or on a bus and um, I mean, you are just uh, really bus or train or tram distance from anything. Um, and that makes it so much nicer. And like you say, it's a quality of life. But now on, on the music scene, so um, something like this that you did, um, tell me about this program. Uh, this summer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so musically, so as I mentioned before, opera was something that I have, I have little experience in, um, versus symphonic stuff. You know, I grew up for whatever reason, my parents were taking me to the symphony. Um, I did go see an opera rehearsal once, um, of Tristan and Isolde, which was incredibly memorable, but I was maybe eight years old and it was at night. And I think I went to the first act because it's, you know, last forever. And it was my bedtime. I had school the next night. So, uh, so opera was not something that I, that I, group around other than hearing it on the radio every Saturday uh, afternoon on the, the, the national public radio broadcast of uh, the Metropolitan Opera. So uh, my first time I had ever worked in opera, so to speak, was when I was in college and I played in the, the orchestra pit as a cellist for uh, an opera by um, a recently living composer. He back, passed away recently, unfortunately. His name was Daniel Catan from Mexico. Repuccini's daughter. Um, that was a that was a really fun experience playing the pit. And the only other opera that I've played uh, was uh, Midsummer Night's Dream by Benjamin Britten, um, also when I was in college. And those are not. I mean, I guess I guess the Britten would be probably be in the canon, so so called canon, the the tradition of opera houses. But but it's on the fringe for sure. So I never played a Mozart opera and Mozart's kind of in many ways, I mean, obviously there was much music before, but Mozart is sort of the, the, the beginning of, of a lot of the opera tradition, the grand opera tradition. And also for someone who 
who conducts Mozart, who plays Mozart regularly, their their instrumental works, um, to know his operas is is so important because so much of people talk about. I always had coaches and teachers when I was growing up saying, "Ah, oh, everything in, in Mozart is an opera, even the stuff that's not an opera." Um, and and you get a sense of that, and because opera for him and for many composers it was kind of the biggest deal. It was their their Mount Everest or their that was that was really where they they made their name. Um, so an opera production sequence or or schedule is is vastly different than a symphonic orchestra's schedule. So a symphonic orchestra will show up the week of the performance and we'll have rehearsals. It depends on the schedule, kind of there's a few different variables, but typically we'll maybe rehearse Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, play a Saturday night concert. Maybe have a dress on Saturday morning, dress rehearsal. Um, or you could double up a couple of those, but um, sometimes even if it's, uh, you know, if it's a less complicated concert, you could have one rehearsal. Right. And even occasionally you can have a, a, a concert with no rehearsals. Um, that's something that a young conductor like myself will encounter. Uh, typically <laughs> I don't get lots of rehearsals, so I have to be very efficient. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you, and, and, and you get a sense that you can't really get in depth in the piece because you just don't have the time um, because orchestras are incredibly expensive units of, 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 you know, it's, it's an incredibly expensive instrument to play if you want to call it that way as an object, because it's all of, you know, you've got all these experts in their fields and you got to pay them. And, then, yeah. and, and, you know, it's a lot of people on stage at once. So, um, so it's an exhilarating experience, but as opposed to an opera production where you start and it maybe can last a month. And so for a month, you are in a in a smaller rehearsal space with singers and a pianist and you're just going over so the piano player plays a reduction of what the orchestra part would be and you're just getting to know the singer and you're coaching them a little bit here and there and then there's also a process where you start to work with the director who talks about stage movements so you have kind of like these two sides of the opera opera production you've got the musical side the singing uh, and then you've got the the acting part uh the drama part that stage blocking part and those two start to come together and then very near the end of the production cycle maybe the week of the performance then you'll have on the side orchestra rehearsals just the orchestra alone and you'll work with the orchestra on that stuff and then you bring them together so now you've got three pieces uh to, to to bring together so you've got the, the the singing the acting so those are the singers and and the music uh the the orchestra and you have something called that what's called the sitz probe which uh in my english ear listening to german probe means to rehearse yeah so and sitz is like sitting so it's like a yeah. sitting rehearsal so oh, yeah. what that means is you, you take away the acting um, mm-hmm. variable from this equation. You have the orchestra in the pit and or in a rehearsal space, and then you have the singers who are sitting down in a row, and then one of them, whenever it's their time to sing, they'll stand up and they'll sing. 
but it's a chance for them to just work musically with the conductor, with the, the orchestra, because the orchestra is a lot of a, a very different animal than working with the piano. Um, and then, and then you'll have now later on, you'll have the tech rehearsals. So you'll have maybe again, the piano is playing in the pit instead of the orchestra and you'll have the lighting people working on the lighting and the, and the, and the props and all those other variables coming in. And maybe the, the singers are starting to wear their costumes now. And, uh, and then later, very, at the very end, you'll have something in the general rehearsal, the dress rehearsal, where you actually have all of the pieces coming together and you get to run the thing. And then you have opening night. So that can take like a month to put together often. Wow. And we don't really realize that when we sit in the opera. You know, and, and you think, and the other thing is um, also what I was thinking about was the, the speed of the music and the singing. Yeah. Um, how, I mean, it, it, there must be some communication also between the singer and the conductor to be able to get that speed right. Because if they are used to yeah. singing at the specific, or if it's long notes that have to be held, um, how is that communication? How important is that communication? It's it's absolutely vital, and it's one of the most important. Uh, I, I I dare not say most important, but it's almost the most important job of a conductor uh, to set the right tempo because the tempo is such in, in any any situation. The tempo is one of the f the few things we have control over. At least usually, as conductor, people think we're all powerful, but we're a musician that doesn't make sound. We just wave our hands around and hope that it works. Um, and the hope that we're effective enough and communicative enough and clear enough that that message. And we also hope that the orchestra is receptive enough to, to receive that. Um, but, but in opera, you're right. The, the, the tempo, now we've got a new thing. We've got people who are singing with their voice. Um, it's a little bit like a wind player. You, you need to find the right tempo. So that that is typically taken care of before the orchestra's there, right? Before you've got expensive people sitting around waiting. Uh, of course, the singers are also very expensive, but but there's less of them <laughs> typically. Yeah. So so you, you take care of that with the pianist and with the singer. Now, the, the complication comes now when you add the orchestra, it's, it's a little bit more like driving a cruise ship versus driving a speedboat, which is the piano. So, um, so your tempo, you has to, your concept as a conductor has to be so clear and that's what rehearsals are for. If something's really not going well with the singer, something that, that I'll ask them is just stop right now. Like if in the first rehearsal it, in, in four bars after we start playing, if it doesn't feel right, stop now, save us the time. Let's get this fixed now so that we find the right tempo because, uh, tempo was a perception issue as much as it is like a constant thing you may feel right when you're singing with the piano because the piano makes less sound but now we're in a, maybe in a bigger space which has a different effect on the way we perceive tempo and also more people in the room which has uh, you know playing making sound making maybe a larger sound so all these elements you you, you build it's a building block approach uh, over a month's period and so by the performance you should generally have it now then the fun part is in the performance uh depend the singer's voice it you know it's so temperamental um maybe people don't notice that in their everyday life because they're just speaking but but the weather really affects your voice i mean think about oh today i feel a little dry or whatever 
But when you are when you are like an Olympic athlete of the voice, which is what these opera singers are, every little percentage makes a huge difference that because they're so perceptive of their own instrument. Like I can tell when my cello is dry or there's something not quite right with it that probably most people can't tell. But to me, I get so much feedback from my instrument that it, that it can affect how I perform. So as the conductor, you have to have, you know, one eye and one ear on the singers at all times, as you are also busy working the pit and, and, and working with the orchestra to see, oh, maybe they need to go a little faster today because they don't feel in good voice or, oh, they're going to hold that long note even longer and they're going to earn a little bit more of a paycheck on this. Uh, they're going to, okay. you know. Uh, and then, and then as a conductor, I, I also have my primary responsibilities to the music um, so sometimes singers might try to indulge themselves too much on a long note. And so do I'm like, okay, well, I want them to impress the audience, but also if they wait too long, it breaks the tension of the music, which we need. Uh, so it's, it's a dosi do it's a dance. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, that's really fun. It's almost a sport. Um, mm -hmm. and that's very much an interpersonal thing. The relationship that you build with the singers and the elements of trust that you build with them that they trust you and you trust them. Um, but that's something I enjoy. The, uh, that's what's great about live music and especially classical music, because we're typically not very strict with tempo, like other genres of music where we, we, our tempos move and speed up, which is a very, um, speed up and slow down, which is a very expressive element in our palette of, of, uh, artistic expression. So it's a very, it's a very, uh, engaging scenario live. Well, this is so interesting because I think, uh, well, if if you think of your studies as a conductor, how much do you get uh, experience in this? So, uh, for example, opera and ballet, because it's all different uh, types of conducting. Um, when you are when you are entering the 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 world of conducting, or when you are starting your career, do you have to specifically go and and build these experiences to be able to do that yes i think it's important you know there nowadays there seems to be uh, um more of a divide between opera conductors between ballet conductors between symphonic conductors although it's not necessarily you know i mean you look at the very top level like yannick nessis again who uh, is the music director of the Philadelphia Orchestra, one of the world's great orchestras, and also the, I, I think, I'm not sure, chief conductor, whatever his technical title is, he's the music director of the Metropolitan Opera, which is one of the world's great opera companies. Um, Philly and New York happen to be close enough you can take a train or a plane, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a doable commute. Those are two huge jobs, um, both full-time jobs in their very own right. Um, and so one is symphonic and one is operatic. But I, I think artistically, actually, you take something with you from the opera, as we talked about, you know, Mozart's opera. You, 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 there's something slightly intangible. Maybe there's a, you have more of an imagination, more inspiration from the fact that you hear an oboe solo and it reminds you of this one moment in this one piece when when Dorabella is feeling this certain way as some character. And so it just it just starts to give you ideas. Um, not that you would need opera to do that, but it it, it helps. Yeah. Um, and and then with symphonic conducting, 
what you bring to the opera world as a symphonic conductor is there's just less going on. So it's, it's a real focus on the basics of music. Uh, not that you don't have to worry about costumes, for example, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't have to worry about stage direction, mm-hmm. about somebody, uh, they need to walk five steps before you start the piece and, uh, before the next number. There's, there's none of that. It's very pure music making. And so one of the goals is to try to bring that, that purity, that, that, that fundamental, whatever monolithic way of, of uh, monolithic sounds terrible. It's a terrible way to say it, but to bring that, that thing to, mm-hmm. to the opera worlds and, and to, um, and look, music is music. When you, even with ballet, my, my, I feel like my job is the same in all three places, which is to create a, a great musical experience. Um, and with some stretching here and there and accommodations, but like I said, that's the dosey dope. But you you gotta you can stretch and pull music. It's okay. Uh, you have to give someplace else here, and it's a bit of a of a give and take. But 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 ultimately, your job is really the same in all three scenarios. There are just little things in the periphery that are a little bit different. Okay. But now, do you get uh, so your where you are now and 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 the work that you're doing now and after you've done say a program like this how much do you have to deliberately get yourself into uh, conducting opera to to keep in with that because it must be also something like skill building or like a um, a practice to get to to uh, do different operas and and to um, uh, work with different opera companies. So how is it possible for you to do that? Well, I think for me personally, the the biggest new variable, if you want to call it new, um, musically, just I'm, I'm just talking like written down the page, the, the the content that I have to know inside and out as a conductor before I show up to the first rehearsal. Uh, for for symphonic conductor, obviously that doesn't change um, because that's where my experience is. But but um, as an opera conductor, now there's this new element of words and the fact that usually the words come first, that it's a text, that it's a story that is written down. Often as a symphonic conductor, I can imagine a story in my own head to a piece that doesn't have words and that can be a lot of fun and that can be a nice entry point into the piece to really open your imagination and, and try to create a, a musical narrative, even if it's abstract. But with, with, with opera, you, you know, I'm an, I'm a dumb American. Okay. We, I, 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 I don't speak. I mean, I, by now you probably learned that I, I speak kind of one language sort of, and that's English. So, so, um, and, and yet most operas are not written in English. Yeah. And to be honest, even when, when I have worked with English texts, texts, uh, when I work with choirs, like on Christmas concerts or, or whatever, um, um, singing in English itself and, 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 and deciding where to put the T's and the S rhythmically and all that is another layer of things. And then, then you add on top of that a language that you don't, that you're not fluent or that you don't understand right away. Um, or even, for example, in Mozart, even if you understand um, Italian fluently, it's a very old-fashioned Italian. It's like, it's, it's in a sense like reading Shakespeare or maybe, or maybe um, 
um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name that wrote the Scarlet Letter, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Like reading the thing, it's just it's just an old poetic language. It's very beautiful, but but uh, there's words in there that I've asked my my fluent Italian speaking friends, "Hey, what is this word?" Or look it up on the internet, and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to. So I ask another opera speaking conductor, uh, no. sorry, Italian speaking conductor, and the conductor knows it, of course, because no. they know these. So uh, so it's the big skill is the language learning the language, learning how to speak it, uh, not necessarily conversationally, although that's, that's important, but, but knowing how to, how to pronounce the words, how to sing it, and then understanding the tendencies of the, of the, of the language, the way that the vowels are, are done, the way that the consonants are done, the way that those need to be sung so they can be understood, the way that those consonants and vowels, even if you don't understand the language as a listener, are important spice to, uh, they're an important part of the, of the, the sound it's created even if you don't understand the music. There's a reason why the poets, the librettists, and then the composer put all that together. Um, they made very deliberate choices uh, creatively to to accommodate these things and to to feature these things. And um, and and then that it comes together. You also have to be a a person of literary understanding of the drama of the story, and how does the music help tell that drama and tell that story? Because after all, the, the opera is, is a work of theater. Um, people often argue, what is the supreme? What's more important? Is it the text? Is it the music? The answer is yes. It's, it's everything. The whole, the whole point of opera is to bring all these art forms together. But now, um, what is now the next for you? What, what are you working on now? Well, right now, we're just starting our season at the South Dakota Symphony. In fact, we had um, a special concert that we just participated in. It was not officially part of our season, um, but it was our first concert back together as an orchestra for the, the fall. Um, we just celebrated, helped celebrate a local church, a hundredth anniversary, which in America is a big deal because we're, okay. we're, you know, 200 something years old uh, as, 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 a, as a country. Um, so I, I guess in Europe, 100, 100 years is like, uh, you know, that faucet over there is 100 years, big deal. <laughs> but, but, but for us, um, it's a big deal. So um, so we, we celebrated the, the 100th anniversary of the first Lutheran church, as it's called here in Sioux Falls. Um, and they commissioned a, uh, a composer from Juilliard, a really fabulous composer named Wayne O'Quinn. Um, who I got to meet and, and work with a little bit to, to, to write a piece for organ and choir and orchestra. So it's quite a, quite oh, a bit. Okay. And it was just a wonderful thing. We also, we also performed uh, an organ and concerto by Handel for orchestra, choir, and, and organ. Um, and then also on that program, there were some choir pieces for choir acapella and some organ pieces. And we had um, Paul Jacobs was the name of the, the organ player. He was a Grammy winning Superstar of the organ world um, from New York City, who who really just brought the house down with some Bach, particularly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was that was a really it was a wonderful thing. It's a, it was a big community event, whether or not you're part of the church, it's just, just to celebrate. In fact, our orchestra last year, the South Dakota Symphony, celebrated our hundredth anniversary. We were started in 1922. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so that was fun. We have our first uh, official concert of the South Dakota Symphony season coming up in October. 
which is going to be um, really wonderful, uh, featuring Brahms' first symphony, which is one of my favorite. Brahms is kind of like my musical soulmate in a way, oh, I feel. Okay. okay yeah. yeah. And uh, his language is somehow just very clear to me. I'm not sure why. And um, also we have Conrad Tao, who is a virtuoso pianist and also a very great composer. So he, we're going to be playing one of his pieces. And also he's going to be playing the Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto with us. Um, and my youth orchestra is just about to start rehearsing, which I'm very excited about. In fact, you can see all these sticky notes. Oh, this I, my, yeah. yeah, so this is <laughs> my heard? technique. Yeah, okay. so I was I was organizing the seating of my youth orchestra, oh, okay. um, all of their auditions, and and went through and decided, okay, you're going to play first, you're going to play seconds, and that, is that. Um, and we're how old, really, yeah. How yeah. old are your members in the in so, the youth? So the youth, the South Dakota Symphony Youth Orchestra is um, a wing of the South Dakota Symphony. It's part of our education department, um, and we have four ensembles three of which meet year round and the fourth of which uh, meets just for the, the second semester, the second half of the year. I don't know, the winter, let's call it the winter into the spring. And um, so our age range is from possibly kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade. Uh, really? to in high school. Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. so the youth orchestra, as, as we call it, which is the, the top group, the, the most experienced group, um, we are very excited because we're actually going on tour this season to, to Kansas City um, for a couple days and we're going to perform. So I, I think it might be the first time in, in this ensemble's history, the youth orchestra's history, that we've performed out of state um, for an audience. So we're really excited and we're going to be playing Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony. So we will be getting to know that piece all year long, which you oh, know, okay. is not yeah. a bad piece to get to know and to spend a whole yeah. year with. So I'm really thrilled. These kids uh, continue to to inspire me and amaze me every year that they, they keep getting better and better. Um, and um, actually, I'm going to be, the end of September, uh, I guess this this month, I'm going to be going down to Omaha, which is uh, another nearby big city, uh, to Sioux Falls. And I'm going to be assisting with the Omaha Symphony for their first two concerts of their season. I was asked to just come down and what we call be a cover conductor. So... Essentially, I'm an extra pair of ears in the hall for the maestro. And if anything happens to the maestro on the day of the concert or something, I, I jump in and wave my hands around and keep everything together. And uh, okay, yeah. there's no disasters. So um, so that's going to be a lot of fun to, to get to work with another orchestra. And uh, and then we'll we'll see what, what else happens the rest of the season. But that's amazing. And, and so you are solely responsible for the youth orchestra. Uh, so I'm the music director, so I conduct three out of the four ensembles. And my colleague, my colleague Jeff Paul, who is our principal oboe player in the symphony, is an incredibly versatile musician. He also is a very accomplished jazz pianist um, and multi-instrumentalist, multi plays saxophone. In fact, he had us, we played a concerto together recently. Um, and so, so Jeff is the conductor of the Philharmonia, which is like the, the intermediate group. Um, and then I also have a partner, um, if you want to get in the corporate level, we're kind of equal on the corporate level, so to speak, who is the, the youth orchestra manager. Uh, and so, so he and I work together closely 
to, to plot stuff within then then on top of that we have my music director boss and the executive director boss and then the board so we're accountable to a lot of people so i wouldn't say i'm the sole one responsible okay but it's so yeah it's so wonderful always for me to hear about these youth orchestras because i think they are going they are the musicians really of the future and they need to be um not really just um, learning the instrument, but also acquiring the love for instruments and, and the love for being in orchestras. So I think this is so, so this is why I'm always so wonderful. It's always so wonderful to hear somebody working with a youth orchestra because I think that is so important. You know, the the the, the youth orchestra I, I recently asked um my former boss, she's now in Omaha, but the, the, the executive director who hired me here in, in, in Sioux Falls, her name is Jennifer Boomgarden. I asked her one of my first years on the job, I said, just, just curious, why does a symphony orchestra have a youth orchestra? Because not all youth orchestras are part of a symphony orchestra infrastructure or, you know, corporation, yeah. so to speak. Um, and and the answer she gave me, it, it seems obvious, but from the point of view of the orchestra, right? So this is sort of a self-serving point of view, but why, why do we have the expense of maintaining a youth orchestra? Well, it's an investment in our future. Not only is it an investment in future musicians, possibly, I think that would be probably a small percentage, but actually it's an investment in our community. It's an investment in future donors, potentially, uh, in, in the arts. It's an investment in potential um, board members, new board members. It's a an investment in future subscribers and audience members. But probably most importantly, it's an investment in future functioning citizens and and yeah. people, um, whether or not they ever are involved in a symphony orchestra again in any capacity, whether they're musicians or donors or supporters, whether they never even go to another orchestra concert again, the experience that that is provided for them by being in an ensemble, which by the way, an ensemble is a French word ensemble, which means together, yeah. which is so important. There's, there's very few things uh, in the world where you can really truly be part of a team working towards the same goal. I mean, unless you're a sports person and not everyone is a sports person, not everyone is, yeah. is gifted athletically. Um, not everyone is gifted like your kids in dance, Petra. Um, not everyone is going to be a chess master. So there's got to be a place for somebody to belong. I think, I think an arts organization, for example, the symphony orchestra, our product, if you want to get in the business worlds, our product is not necessarily music. It is music, but, but, but really behind that music, what we provide are three things. I think joy, meaning and belonging yeah. and particularly so the joy and the meaning come from the music so you talked about falling in love with the instruments the kids falling with the instruments i would go a step further and say we hope that they fall in love with the music which is why as my one of my most important jobs as a music director of a youth orchestra is to pick meaningful important music that that is stood the test of time while also exploring new music and especially music of their own yeah. peers. That's my creativity club. We have young composers from the youth orchestra itself writing music for their youth orchestra that we perform. Um, but, but finding a piece of music or finding pieces of music that, that are extremely meaningful 
So um, I recently participated in my very first open mic night uh, here in Sioux Falls. Um, it wasn't exactly comedy, thank God, uh, for the audience, but, but I, I actually read something, uh, an, a letter that Beethoven wrote that was never sent during his lifetime, but it was, it was kind of like a will and testament. It was kind of like an anti-suicide note. It was kind of um, a manifesto of his, of his reason to be. It's called the Heiligenstadt Testament. So as you know, Heiligenstadt is the end of the yeah. green line in Vienna. Yeah, yeah. Back, back in the days of, of, of Vienna, when, when Beethoven was alive, it was more in, in the country. It was, it was a quiet place. And it was where Beethoven was urged by his doctor to go spend some time to get away from the loud noises of the city to preserve his his hearing because um at this point beethoven was starting to become profoundly deaf and this was a, he wrote this letter around the time of the second symphony to kind of put it in chronological uh orientation and, and it's it's sort of a heartbreaking letter in a way he talks about it's a letter to his brothers and he tells them paraphrasing the reason why I haven't been able, why I've been so distant from you, what, the reason why I've been so awkward, the reason why I've I've refused to meet you is because I'm I'm deaf. And what is the worst possible thing that can happen to a musician is to lose their hearing, their sense of hearing. Who he said, you know, f- f- who people expect me to possess in the greatest capacity, greater than anybody else. It's like a painter having the greatest vision. Um, and and so through the shame of of being a performer and being a musician and, and suddenly losing that that critical sense and also think about this is like the late 1700s early 1800s even now people are slightly discriminatory to people with disabilities imagine what it was like back then um so beethoven was was completely isolated socially and and, and um i mean he was already a person who who as he wrote in his letter possessed great warmth and and caring for his for his fellow man for for his brothers and sisters you know he wrote about that in the ninth symphony he set schiller's poem an ode to, to brotherhood ode to joy in the ninth symphony um this is a person who who was a, a true humanitarian who dedicated his third symphony initially to napoleon until he read in the papers that napoleon had declared himself uh, emperor and so he ripped it out and scratched through it and we thankfully somebody saved that piece of paper because now we know a little bit about Beethoven's character he was yeah. just absolutely incensed by it um, imagine a person with those sensibilities being completely isolated not being able to be with a person and, and human beings are very social creatures even if we are loners to some extent we still need to have that social thing that fabric it, it I'm sure scientists now can prove that there's certain chemicals that are that are triggered by being around people, mm-hmm. um, and and Beethoven lost that. So this letter talks about how he he contemplated suicide, and yet he decided that what he had to say artistically, musically, was so important that he had something to live for. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way, he had joy and meaning. Right. He had meaning in life. His purpose in life was to create music, to to write music, to try to say something about the condition of the about the human condition and about about being being human beings together. And yet he 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 did not have the belonging. So so I talk about that 
I talked about last year, we played the Fifth Symphony of Beethoven. And um, I, I, part of my job as, a, as an educator, I would never do this with a professional orchestra um, because we don't have the time and because it would be in a way disrespectful because they already know this. But as kids, yeah. they don't know this, which is to actually stop the rehearsal and tell this story that I'm telling you now. Mm-hmm. And then um, since we're playing Beethoven five, even though this is a story that I made up, it's probably not accurate in any way. But you think about that initial bop, 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 that statement, this, this, this chilling statement. It's in, there's no harmony. It's just everybody's playing in octaves. Um, bop, 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 and there's a fermata. So it's like you get this start, stop, start, stop. You don't get this movement forward. Uh, I, I equate that to, to this diagnosis, this realization that there's this terrible thing that, you know, Beethoven, you've lost your hearing, you're going deaf, or, hey, I'm sorry, you have cancer, something like that. And then you have, which is almost like denial, like you're, you're, you've just processed the news that initially hit you, and then you're like, this can't be, and stops again, no, and then again, the news, no, really, you do have cancer, you are deaf, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It goes along and you get more angry, more, more, more obstinate about it. And finally there's this horn call. Bah, 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 bah. The mood changes. Da, dee, da, da, dee, da, da, da. It's like, ah, music, I'm living for this purpose. But except what's really going on in music is da, dee, da, 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 bah, 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 bah. The, the basses and cellos have this, bah, 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 which is just a little reminder. No, you're deaf. You can't, you can't forget it. You can't, you're obsessed with this thing and you process it. You go through the first movement and then you go through the rest of the movements of the piece till finally you get this sort of three or four note figure, ba, 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 which becomes ba, 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 bum, 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 which is this, this celebratory, this, ah, yes, I finally conquered this thing. And, and telling the kids the, the, the story about, Beethoven, what he was going through and the fact that he was contemplating suicide, I think is something, it's, it's a difficult subject to discuss, but it's so critical for young people to, 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 to hear this because many of them struggle with this thing. One of the, you know, one of the leading causes of death in young people is suicide. Um, and hopefully being a part of a team, being, a, being able to, to experience this thing, to feel what Beethoven was feeling and to overcome it in a, in a way, even in a metaphorical way, to go from C minor to C major, to overcome this, and to do it with your with your friends, with your fellow with your fellow man, and to to not just do it together in the room, but to really spiritually and, and sonically participate and make the sound together. The fact that if I don't, if my voice is not a part of this, this orchestra is lesser without me. Mm-hmm. That is so critical for people to feel like they belong to something, um, because without it. We terrible things happen. So mm-hmm. that's really the point of mm-hmm. having a youth orchestra. That's really the point in 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 supporting the the, the arts for, for a youth orchestra and for supporting these these young kids. And that's what I'm so passionate about as their music director. Well, this is such a wonderful story, and this is really so true because it's not it's not just about the end product, it's about the whole like you say, the whole process of it and the belonging together. I actually spoke to William Walker today, um, also American conductor, and he said exactly the same thing. He said that an orchestra is is really like a family, 
Is it sometimes like a dysfunctional family, but still it's a family and everybody is there for each other. So I think this this has to also be the message to go out and, and to make people also understand the importance of of music and, and orchestras and getting children involved in music education and involved in, in orchestra settings. And probably not everybody will be on that level of playing for a youth orchestra, you know, of a, a huge orchestra, but even just a small something happening in a school where, where children come together and not perfectly, but being together and making music together, that is also something that I think is important to um, to understand. Yeah, you know, music is something that you can carry with you for your whole life. Um, another, but like I said, you have to find your place where you belong. So for some people, playing the violin is not going to be the way to go. It's going to be playing football, which is great. Um, but and I guess they can carry that with them for their whole life too. They might get to the point where they're out of shape and they're unable to play, but but. Um, I, I don't think I've ever met a single person, an adult who regrets having learned or started to learn an instrument. They, they might've said they didn't like it. They didn't enjoy the process, but I think they're still thankful that they've had that experience that they, there, there's just something. So I know I'm preaching to the choir, to you and to your audience, but there's something so fundamental about music in in the human condition and the human experience in our human life. We've been making it as a species for, for, for thousands of years. Um, it, it's, it's so it's, it's critical to our survival. I think it's not something, you know, yes, it's not shelter and it's not food and, and whatever, but, but what are we living for? Yeah. What is the point of surviving? If, if you, if you can't experience joy, if you can't experience meaning, if you can't belong to something. So, so the arts, and I don't want to just choose just music. Obviously I'm biased because I'm a musician, but yeah, but the, the arts overall. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not just some fancy thing for rich people. Mm -hmm. It's, it's absolutely critical. Some of the most beautiful music came from people who were for truly struggling. You have, mm -hmm. you have in our country, African-American spirituals, you know, I mean, can you think of a possible worst existence than being a slave? And yet yeah. some of the most beautiful music in the history of humanity came from those people. Mm -hmm. um, you can think about a slightly more modern example of, of uh, Shostakovich, uh, the, 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 the Russian composer who, who lived during the time of Stalin and was being stifled by Stalin and yet still somehow managed to get across his meaning, to get across mm -hmm. his message even right in front of Stalin and Stalin probably saw it to some degree, but, but allowed it to happen because Shostakovich captured the hearts of his countrymen. Um, yeah. And still, I mean, think about the war that's going on now. It's, it's so, um, it's so important. So mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think the arts is not just something, you know, that we can, that we can put on afterwards. They, the, many times these programs get cut from, funding sources for, for whatever reason. Um, there's a reason why they call it the arts and sciences. We have that term, the arts and sciences. Those things are vital. Look at Einstein, he played the violin. We, we wouldn't have satellite technology and GPS technology without relativity. Yeah. And Einstein was the first guy to figure it out. 
Yeah, I also heard that that he, when he had a problem that he couldn't solve, that he go, went to play the violin and then afterwards came to some conclusion about things. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's so important. I think we would, we I think the world should really rethink the whole system, the whole education system, and art should be right there next to science and maths and languages and and it has to be so it has to be seen as important and not as entertainment or on the side um it's not the, the, the no, you know music no. is, is not you know maybe some pop music might be yeah. uh, my colleagues in in the classical music world sort of thumb their noses up at, at, at pop music and i i don't necessarily although i am skeptical of anything that's that's put out there to make money and that's yeah. the primary reason for it but you know, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of get on the soapbox that you're standing on right now and join you in this this crusade for for reforming our education system. Now, everything I'm about to say is totally not my idea. I'm paraphrasing it and stealing it. Yeah. Um, so there's a really wonderful TED talk by Sir Ken Robertson, the late great Sir Ken Robertson, about creativity. And this is one of the reasons why I started my creativity club for my youth orchestra students. Mm-hmm. Um, creativity club, it, it's not. It's called a club. It's not really a class. I, I sort of lead the discussions. Uh, we listen to music. I try to, to, to curate as a diverse set of music from different cultures, from different times. Often, obviously, we, we focus primarily on orchestral music of Western roots, but, but we do get into other art forms and other um, traditions to try to get these kids who, whose, whose focus is music. Many of them are also composers to listen critically mm. and say, okay, so I'll play a piece of music and, and maybe it sounds ugly to them. And I said, okay, why does it sound ugly? Let's talk about the actual, the notes. Then we start to get into music theory, which is not exactly scales, chords, keys, and junk as one of my teachers said, scales, chords, keys, and junk is more musical grammar, but theory, we try to music theory is just a discussion of us trying to figure out, how music makes us feel the way that it makes us feel what what in the in the material of the notes of the sound makes us feel this way but i think creativity education is something that that is 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 not very uh, easily done in the, in in the traditional educational system as i'm about to paraphrase because our educational system as we know it going into a classroom with many kids and one teacher in the front is an artifact of the industrial revolution. The industrial revolution, before the industrial revolution, we didn't really have school in the same way. We had super rich people who might've had tutors or you went to some sort of theological, um, you became a monk or a nun, for example, um, and, and, or you were, a, you were a peasant and you, didn't, you were illiterate maybe. And also this coincides with the printing press, et cetera. But, but all of a sudden we've got the industrial revolution and we need workers who are literate so that they can operate the machinery and they can read the instructions and they can sort of fit in into the, to be a cog in the machine of industrial society. And, and it was a very efficient, we, we did an assembly line of, of education. And that is still to some extent, what to a large extent what we have in our education yeah. system now. Um, and it leaves a lot of kids behind. Mm-hmm and uh, because every person is unique and so we're forcing people to conform to this system and we give them grades and we're 
and then you have to go to this other thing in college and blah, 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 which works for, for many people, but it, it, it takes away creativity. It's anti-creative. And what we need now in our, the future, because there's so much automation, because there's going to be so much automation, we already have it. Computers are solving some of the labor intensive problems that we, we used to do. There are robots on assembly lines when it used to be a person with their hands. Yeah. Uh, creativity, and because the world is getting more and more complex in a way, uh, just the structure of the world, the, the, the dynamics of our, of our international relations and geopolitics, and the way that we have to interact with technology itself, creativity is, is becoming more and more important for survival. We've always had to have great creative people to survive. Um, and I'm not talking about like infrastructural things about like bridges and water and these basic, you know, physical needs, but the arts is a great place to, to, to draw from, to learn, to, to build those creative muscles. Cause I think creativity is actually a skill that can be trained. Uh, it's, it's absolutely vital that our kids are being trained in, in the creative arts not so that they become they can become necessarily great painters or dancers or yeah, or violin exactly. players or singers, but because those disciplines can be used for science, technology, math, etc., or even you know day to day solving a problem in your daily life. Like, is there a, way, a more efficient way for me to take out the garbage? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Now, I hundred percent agree with you, and I think this will also. Um, and, and not not just in that sense that it will create problem solving, but it also brings some sort of um, uh, what is the word now? But tolerance, you know, tolerance for yeah. each other, because it's it, your your mind is thinking differently, and you are also more acceptant of other people's opinions and other people's way of doing things. So. I think for society itself, it's very important that 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 happens. I'm so great. It's so great that you say other because this is exactly what I think. You know, and if I think the more we also talk about that, um, it's also then more people start thinking about um, the way the education system is functioning. So. Right. Yeah. So it There's might be it. there. There are there are schools out there that are really integrating um, the arts as an integral part, as a center part. I, I used to teach at a, at a parochial school here in, in Sioux Falls. Um, I just taught violin, which is sort of a strange concept since I'm not a violinist. But they were really desperate and they needed somebody temporarily to, to fill in, and so I, I I was basically a strings teacher, um, and I was teaching little kids. It was one of my first side jobs when I first moved uh, out of college. And um, they've committed for for every student going through their school, starting in second grade, they will learn the violin, Suzuki violin. Um, and they might also do choir and they might also do band and then eventually they'll branch out and they'll choose an instrument or they won't. But in second grade, in the very early part of their lives, music is, is, is an absolutely critical um, aspects of, of what they do because they they understand the research they see where, yeah. where things are headed um and lots of schools are doing that and and i i'm 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 heartened i think there's the tide has been turned but we need to continue the momentum we need to keep beating this drum exactly. of the education of the arts education yeah. it's critical yeah. for people to be successful in math and science and reading yeah. and all those other things. 
No, I hundred percent agree with you. But listen, Thomas, this was so lovely to talk to you. Likewise, it's so great and, to catch up. Again. Yeah, and and tell me now first, what is your um uh, wish for the future? World peace. <laughs> um, uh, what, what do you mean specifically? Well, what 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 would you like to see happening for the next year or so for you? Um, any opportunity I can have to make music with with inspired musicians, with with open people, any chance I can I can have if I can make a small impact on somebody's life, if I can spread joy, if I can spread meaning, if I can create a sense of belonging in someone's life, whether that's a, a member of the audience, whether that's a member of the orchestra, um, then then I've accomplished my mission. And maybe you'll also come to Vienna again. It's on my list. I, I really do want to come back. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's do that. Fingers let's wish that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll put my ticket soon. <laughs> uh, Thomas, um, when you were in Vienna, where where did you enjoy going for coffee? Can you do a shout out for for a, a coffee shop or a restaurant? Wow. Well. I'm almost afraid to say the one because it's it's I'm almost ashamed of it. But so we we this program that I was a part of, we were in the basement of the Music for Ryan. Yeah. Um, Music for Ryan, I don't know, is like maybe the greatest concert hall ever built. It's where the Vienna Philharmonic plays. It's their home. Um, and in the basement, there's like three or four negative levels below the ground that that have all these rehearsal spaces. So that's what we were working on our operas. Um, and then like around the corner, there was a Mick cafe McDonald's. And as an American, I'm like, there's no way I'm going in there. Uh, why would I go all the way to Vienna, travel all the way to Vienna to just go to a McDonald's? I mean, I, I don't even go to McDonald's really, unless I need to go to the bathroom on a, on a road trip here in America. But my, my European colleagues were like, no, 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 it's, it's actually, it's actually good. I'm like, well, if you guys are saying it's good, all right, I'll try it. So that was that was nice, but uh, Schwarzenberg Cafe Schwarzenberg was across the street. That oh, was yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I loved, I loved hanging out in the Imperial Hotel. I mean, it's very expensive, so I would usually get a coffee, and I would use their Wi-Fi, which was very stable. One of the few places <laughs> that I had good Wi-Fi in town. Um, yeah, beautiful. What was, the place that, what was the name of the place? What was the name of the place that we met for coffee? Oh, that was a uh, hidden kitchen. Hidden kitchen. Yeah. Everybody should go to hidden kitchen. Yeah, I can subscribe. Absolutely. I, I, didn't you do some of their social media for them or photography for them? I did the food photography for them. Yeah. So there yeah. you go. Okay. That's the shout out thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thomas, um, let me know when you're in Vienna again. Of course. And we'll go again. Let me know if you're in the state. Yeah. Okay. You got it. Uh, definitely. Thank you, Petra. Uh, have a lovely day and thank you so much for your time. Likewise, it's been great talking to you. Take care. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.